There are handshake deals all over um, the agriculture industry. I mean, people are understandably doing business with people that they know, like, and trust. But just putting a contract in writing helps actually protect both people in the instance that something might go wrong. Welcome to the Farmer's Feed Raising the Barn podcast, which explores the unique ways folks in the agriculture sector are marketing their businesses. I'm Caroline Allen, founder of the Farmer's Feed and host of the show. We are continuing our Women's History Month celebration of women in ag with someone who I have long admired and been in awe of, Carrie Rinker. We know that the vast majority of farmers wear a lot of hats, but I'm not sure many wear as many as Carrie. Farmer, ag and family lawyer, professor, podcaster, triathlete, 4-H judge, author, and recently new mother are just a few of the titles that Carrie holds. Today, Carrie is going to join us to talk about farm law, how she's balancing life on and off the farm, and her advice for the next generation of farmers. Welcome, Carrie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited for this conversation. So, you know, as we all know, every farmer has a unique story about how they became a farmer. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey to, to farming and growing up on a cattle farm in Illinois? Sure. So I grew up on a beef cattle farm in central Illinois. So the farm has grown over the years, but you know, when I was a little girl, we maybe only had about a hundred acres or so. And that has, has since grown, but we raise a beef cattle breed called Simmental. And I grew up showing cattle in 4-H and FFA, the whole nine yards. And, um, yeah, I had a really great childhood growing up on a farm. I mean, I, grew up spending time baling hay and walking beans with my grandpa and the whole, you know, the whole shebang. So I'm a definitely a farm girl through and through. And I went on to actually study agriculture in college. So I have an associate's degree in agriculture and a bachelor's and master's degree in animal science. And then I did all of that before uh, going to law school. So I have um, quite a history in agriculture and um, it's quite a passion of mine. So what made you want to take that passion then and pursue that career in ag law? Good question. So I went to undergrad at Texas A&M University and um, they had actually a congressional internship program on Capitol Hill. And I worked for a Texas congressman, um, Kevin Brady, um, who's actually still in Congress at at the time. And that was really like my first experience being exposed to law and policy. I mean, I grew up in a very small town. There weren't very many attorneys uh, where I grew up. So I spent a large portion of my childhood, like not really having any um, contact with attorneys or people that worked in politics at all. And then there I was living in Washington, D.C. and surrounded by attorneys everywhere I turned around. I lived at the Georgetown Law Dorms. And at that point in my life, I'd already committed to get a master's degree in beef cattle nutrition, Um, but I was just really hungry for the law. And um, instead of pursuing um, ruminant beef cattle nutrition, um, after my master's degree, I decided to go ahead and take the leap of faith and go to law school. And I didn't really know what direction that that would take me in life, um, but I was really glad that I did. That's really funny. I actually don't think I knew that we had a similar background. And I also 
interned on Capitol Hill when I was in college. I obviously took a slightly different route. I did not go to law school. I always actually thought growing up, I always thought I would go to law school, but I went the more political campaign route and then found myself working in social media that led to marketing. But it is funny. I've met so many people who have also had that similar experience working on Capitol Hill or interning on Capitol Hill. And that has driven them into, you know, a certain direction that where they are now. Um, So, you know, when it comes to legally protecting your ag business or unag business, you know, as a lawyer, I'm sure you see a lot of people who uh, are either have some kind of like making mistakes or things that you wish they would have, you know, thought about sooner um, or come to you sooner. So what are some of those common mistakes that you, you see folks, folks making when it comes to that? So the first thing is, is the choice of business entity. I feel that a lot of farmers, you know, farmers with millions of dollars of assets, even, uh, who are operating as a sole proprietorship. And I, I, I just don't feel like that's smart business. Um, so it doesn't matter how big your farming operation is, or perhaps you're just a food entrepreneur and you're making jams and jellies in your kitchen. So if, but if you are in the food and the ag space, there's a potential for some liability. And I think that you prudently need to take a look at your business structure you know, I, I don't believe that there's a one size fits all. So I'm not going to sit here and say every farm or every food entrepreneur needs to get a limited liability company, but there are certainly some advantages in doing that as opposed to a corporation or a partnership. But I think that there needs to be an individualized conversation about does my business entity make sense for the business enterprise? And is it helping me instead of hurting me from a standpoint of liability protection? The second biggest um, mistake that I see farmers and food entrepreneurs making is with contracts. And I can tell you that um, my own father, my own, my own brother, you know, my own family sometimes does not put contracts in writing. Um, there are handshake deals all over um, the agriculture industry. I mean, people are understandably doing business with people that they know, like, and trust. But just putting a contract in writing helps actually protect both people in the instance that something might go wrong. Maybe even just something out of people's control, like an act of God or a pandemic or um, or eminent domain, government interference. So I think it's really prudent for all businesses, but especially food and agriculture businesses to put contracts in writing. And then the third business, um, the the third mistake that I see um, farmers and food entrepreneurs making has to do with insurance. Sometimes there's some confusion. They think that their activities are covered. Perhaps some are and some aren't. So I think getting regular checkups um, when it comes to insurance is the right thing to do. That's A really interesting point too. I mean, I just want to quickly go back to what you said about contracts is I think from, from the perspective of uh, someone who also owns a small business, it's, it sometimes seems like you are going to be either like going out of the way or kind of be a little too pushy, or you don't want to, you know, have that additional ask, but your point of being that it really is mutually beneficial, right? Whether you are the uh, 
the main party who is agreeing to whatever that business may be. Um, what, or if you're the person who is going into business with someone and they're not providing a contract, like you, it's beneficial for you to protect yourself, your business, this thing that you've put your heart and your soul into for either, maybe it's your first generation, maybe it's been in your family for generations. Um, the care that you're putting into running your day to day and the life that you built on your farm or within your food business or ag business, like that little piece of paper can be the, you know, make or break. I know. I mean, I get the phone calls when things go wrong. And one of the first things I'm asking them is like, okay, well, do you, do you have a contract? And if the answer is no, I'm not sitting here and saying that there's no legal protections, but you don't have your agreement memorialized, you know, and it it could be something as simple. Like I have a client that's, that's a hay farmer and the, the landlord died. Right. I mean, that is outside of everybody's control. And then now there's a a lot of confusion about the tenancy and the lease Mm -hmm. agreement, right? And now he's dealing with the landlord's children. So I think put the agreement in writing. I'm not saying that you have to hire an attorney, um, but please put it in writing. Something else I see too, um, which seems such, it seems so small, but I think as a marketer is really important in protecting your business. These days, it's so easy to create a website, right? Like there's so many services. It's very low cost. It's very, you know, you can find things where it's easily drag and drop. You don't need a developer. You don't need any kind of outside resources. But a lot of folks are missing privacy policies on their website, which I see, you know, day in and day out that if you are uh, collecting any kind of data or information from your customers, email addresses, whatnot, like, Those are some of the things that I think are kind of second and afterthought sometimes, like you don't realize you need it for your website, but that is another kind of big thing that I see just as a marketer, you know, exploring different farm websites. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that there's a lot of like do it yourself, you know, platforms and things, but people need to think through um, different liability issues that still might affect their business. So do you have any other kind of like, uh, maybe not mistakes, but what about like frequently asked questions that you're, that you get that, you know, other farmers, uh, who are listening may hear and be like, Oh, I've always thought of that too. Or maybe I should be contacting, uh, you know, a lawyer within my state to have these conversations. Well, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions with, with business partnerships or general partnerships. I think a lot of people don't, and, and partnerships are ubiquitous in agriculture. I mean, there's anything from like two people going in on a show heifer or like, hey, we're going to own these goats together and then we're going like to sell, you know, the milk, whatever it is, or it could perhaps even be a multi-generational farm family who's all doing business together. But there's a lot of confusion, I think, about the laws of partnerships. And a lot of people don't realize that if you form a partnership with somebody, and you share profits. And that's really, honestly, at the end of the day, uh, the definition of a partnership. If two or more people do the business together and share profits, then they are in a partnership. And both of the people in a partnership can bind the partnership together. Like one person could go and get debt in the name of the partnership and both people would be liable for that. So I think that there's actually a lot of confusion 
um, around partnerships as a whole, um, as it applies to food and agriculture businesses, and they should use be used with caution. I just think, you know, every small business, every small ag business, um, whereas a lot of consumers, you know, we just think, you know, you know, like the farm where they grow our food or the farm where they raise, you know, the cattle or the pigs or the chickens for our eggs that we have on our table. Like it's such like an idyllic uh, kind of state that the average consumer uh, kind of pictures farms in. But as folks in the industry who know like the day in and the day out, like this is a small business as, you know, as the, you know, restaurant down the street or the little shop around the corner or any other kind of small mom and pop or large corporation um, is running a small business, like your ag business, your farm, your food, your smaller food business, like that is a business in and of itself. And in approaching that, whether that is, you know, how you're marketing your business and the different tactics that you're using to operate your marketing strategies all the way down to, you know, the legal agreements, the partnership agreements, the contracts, the liability that you may face um, in, in potentially not consulting a lawyer or not having contracts in place. You know, I think a lot of farmers are obviously very cognizant of, of, of what they need and, and of that they're running their business, but at the same time, it's one of those things that, because once again, the day-to-day business is the actual farm. It is the actual, you know, agriculture. And it's something that, you know, may either default to, like you said, those handshake deals that we've, you know, known these people and worked with them for generations to um, just not even being aware that maybe you need that, like a privacy policy on a website. So I think that, um, you know, it's something that you within the ag law industry, but also coming from the ag background um, are someone who can really like help them kind of like see, you know, how that applies to their business. I know. And there's so much uh, emotion. I feel like that when it comes to agriculture businesses, I mean, I'm part of a multi-generational farm family myself, but it is still a business and for a business to be sustainable, there are things that need it. The business needs to make money in order for it to be sustainable, right? There needs to be liability protection. There needs to be a good accounting system. You know, there needs to be prudent things that are done in these various aspects of the business. In addition to, you know, the actual agriculture, the food product that's being created. So, you know, a business owner has to wear a lot of hats. Um, and so I, I, I empathize with that. And sometimes it's difficult to really know what to do in all those very as- all those various aspects, but there are consultants um, like you or other professionals that are able to help them wear a hat more efficiently, you know? Well, speaking of wearing many hats, Um, I recently read that 65% of young farmers in the U.S., they have a primary occupation that is not farming. So farming would be their second and maybe third occupation. You are obviously no exception um, with all the various hats that you wear. So how do you balance life on and off the farm? It's difficult and I am still trying to figure it all out. And I think that also me now being a mother puts a whole other kink into it. Right. But I think that where I 
how I view life differently. I view all these different aspects of my life as just being part of my integrated day. You know, I wake up in the morning I do chores I take care of my child. And then I go to work and I help farmers and I go home and do chores again. And, um, so I don't really look at the, the farmer part of me or the help that I do with my family's farm as being a second job. It's like just kind of part of my life. And, um, it's all just sort of integrated. Um, it's it definitely to be a farmer is, um, is a way of life and a lifestyle. That's a hundred percent. I mean, I think, especially from being in this business, but also just have, you know, having family and friends who have, you know, been in the ag industry and, and been on multi-generational farms or new farmers themselves, like that is the one thing farmers are hundred percent. Some of the most passionate people who I know and do have that such an interesting story when it comes to why they do what they do and what is their kind of driver behind it. And it usually is because it's like in their blood, right. Whether they're a new farmer or someone who's grown up in the ag industry, like yourself, it's just like, it's just what you do. Right. So like, there's really no, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like from what it sounds like, it's like, there's just like not really an alternative, right? Like it's like you farm because you farm and like, it's, yeah. you know, you wear multiple hats because like, it's just your nature. I know. And I, and thank you for saying that because I'm constantly, I mean, even just last week, I, I was having a conversation with a judge and a judge was like, I don't understand how you do all of these things. Or I might have an opposing counsel who's saying the same thing or a client or whoever. And it's like, you just do it, you know, and um, it's just who I am. And I think that um, a lot of your listeners um, who are in food production would probably say the same thing, but like, yeah, I go, I'm a teacher during the day. And then I go at night and I run my, my livestock operation. That's just what they do. Right. And um, so I can definitely understand that. (laughs) So with, with Carrie's farm then, so for our listeners, we mentioned Carrie also has her own farm. She comes from a family farm. She's an ag warrior, but you have a farm, Carrie's farm in Illinois. <laughs> you are selling beef, uh, goat meat. I know you have eggs. So in what are some of the ways are you kind of marketing this farm business either together or separate, you know, from your, your ag law business or kind of the other hats that you wear? Yeah, my my own personal farming enterprise is a little bit more about food production. I think I've always just been a little bit more uh, interested in that. I grew up on a, in a seed stock operation, meaning that my dad would raise cattle and then he would maybe sell bulls to other producers or he would sell heifers to other producers, but he wasn't necessarily selling uh, meat to mm-hmm. direct to the consumer. And I think that that's where my interest is. You know, like I mentioned, I also have a master's degree in um, beef cattle nutrition. So I think that I am also just like interested in the economic part of it, but also just trying to have the, um, the business be like, how can you get the food in the hands of the consumer in a sustainable way? And so you are selling then direct to consumers. Are you doing anything like 
I don't know if you'd even have the time, but like farmers markets and things like that, or is it more just like people know, people know you where you are and people know what to come to you for? Yeah. Right now what I'm doing is I'm essentially just marketing cattle. Um, It's actually called custom processing where people would buy a head of beef, either a whole beef, half a head or a quarter head. Now there are some people that actually sell freezer beef um, directly to the consumer. So that's another way. I personally haven't done it yet, um, but I'm, you know, kind of getting to explore my options with both with the beef, but then also with a goat meat, you know, for example. So right now with goats, it's sort of like the same thing Like people are buying like a whole head of a goat and then buying like the meat um, with for the for the goat. And I, I can only imagine that even is a more economical for folks, but B like with all of these kind of issues we've been having with shortages of beef and, you know, really all, almost all meat, a lot of dairy, cream cheese, et cetera, you know, of things that we typically just kind of go to the store and expect to be there. And now we're going to the mm-hmm. store and they don't have any, um, folks are looking at other alternatives and that is bringing them which I think is a great thing. We've talked a little bit about this in another podcast, but kind of having them take a look around and like look more local and look to the folks like you who yeah. who do have this availability and also, you know, the, the fact that they can also, you know, kind of like know your farmer, know their farmer. Um, it It's definitely an interesting, you know, marketing use case, I think. Yeah, I um I one of the positives of COVID is that it has given more demand for people to buy direct from the farmer, which is great. As a downside of COVID, what has happened is is that it's very difficult to actually get a reservation at a processing facility. So I have to now get a reservation um a year out, some some places two years out at this point in time. And I think that that's a real problem in the, in, the, in, the, in the industry right now. We have consumers that want food product. We have farmers that are able to produce the food product, but we don't have processors to fulfill the need. And so it shows you how important it is for us in agriculture to make sure that we have every segment of the industry sort of, you know, operating at full force. Yeah, that is... That's definitely something I think the average consumer would not even think about, right? Like they go to your farm, you say, yeah, I have this available, but there's definitely still a step in between, mm-hmm. you know, the producers themselves and getting it into people's fridges or on their dinner plate. Um, another thing that you've been involved with, you know, uh, is the 4-H program, right? You mentioned that yeah. you, uh, sh- I think you said you showed cattle when you were younger and now you're a judge uh, within 4-H. What are some of those things that get you really excited about for the next generation of farmers? Yeah, 4-H, I've had a fantastic experience with 4-H. I started showing cattle in 4-H at the age of eight. So from the age of eight to the age of 18, I was actively involved in 4-H. And one of the, you know, of course I participated in the county fairs, you know, all of that, but you know, what I also really loved about 4-H too, that even at the age of eight, the age of nine, the age of 10, I had to give 
speeches to my 4-H club and talk to them about my project. And I think that encouraging young people to do more public speaking can, you know, help, help encourage them, um, you know, in their career. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize that like, I feel confident right now to go into a courtroom as an attorney and speak in front of a judge because of my experiences in 4-H and FFA and all of that. So I think that those youth organizations are really doing a great job encouraging our young people, like even if they decide to do careers or outside of agriculture. Um, and then I'm involved now in 4-H. Um, I judge 4-H shows and I really, really have a passion. I love so much like talking to the young people about their projects. And, and, you know, I know that it sounds like cliche, but it's like, there really are like the next generation of our, our food and agriculture producers. And so as an agriculture community, like we need to lift them up and make sure that everybody feels encouraged um, and they're getting the education that they need. Yeah, I think the ability to effectively communicate, whether that is, you know, just on your day-to-day, right? If you're uh, building a new partnership for your business, Mm -hmm. if you are trying to promote your business on social media, or if you are trying to, um, you know, start a new venture with trying to get into more like retail locations, um, that ability to effectively communicate what you do, what your business is, what makes you different from the other, you know, 2 million farms that we have here in the U S effective communication is something that whatever your business is, whatever, wherever life takes you, it's something that you'll be able to fall back on. And it's been, it will be important. So that's actually a very interesting, I didn't, that's not the answer I thought I was going to get when asking that question, but that is, that's such an interesting perspective too, of like how it prepares, you know, those young farmers, whether they become farmers or, you know, pursue other areas of interest. Well, what about, um, then for those who, who go through 4-H or maybe don't go through 4-H and, and do decide that, you know, they do want to continue and pursue, you know, a career in ag or, you know, maybe someone who is looking to make a career change into ag, a first-time farmer. Um, do you have any advice on, you know, on what what you would give them? Well, there's of course a lot of places to get education, right? Like whether you know somebody's just seeking like a one or two year degree or a four-year degree from a university in a myriad of different, you know, agriculture, you know. Um, you know, different degrees. I, mean, I studied animal science, but like there's agribusiness, ag communications, the list can go on and on. But more importantly, I do think that there's a lot that can be done with apprenticeships and internships and trying to gain experience that way. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm educated. I've got all the diplomas, right? But at the end of the day, like probably like my most valuable assets that I have are things like social capital and the, the experiences that I've had. So I just never for one moment want to 
you know, turn my back about the importance of doing that. And there's also a lot of organizations too, that um, like with through extension education that are able to help young farmers develop skills. You know, like I was thinking about taking a class on uh, apiaries. I'm like really interested in beekeeping for some reason. I want like I got honey dreams, I guess. So, but there's courses that, that can help people like me that might not know anything about it, um, that can kind of, that can teach them about how to grow that kind of food from the, the ground up. So I just would like to encourage people to look at, um, obviously formal education, but also informal education. Yeah, that's a great point too, especially, you know, as we live in a more, not even like so much online society, but there are just so many more opportunities, I think, for kind of like learning and and that continuing education, whether, whether like you said, it's formal, informal, whether it's kind of like a meetup group in your area of folks who are already in the industry, whether that is, I love the idea to, you know, apprenticeships. I know a lot of farms offer kind of like internships and apprenticeships, or if they're not offering that, maybe something that they could potentially explore um, that also just like any, like, like a lot of businesses also helps to get more young, eager people, you know, into your company and working for shorter periods of time, but it, it, it can be very mutually beneficial for the apprentice, for the intern, as well as the business itself. So like, that's an interesting perspective too. Yeah. Um, what about your, marketing plan or kind of upcoming plans for 2022? Is there anything, I actually kind of know a few things that you have coming down the pipe, but uh, I feel like there's never an ending, you know, list of like exciting things that are kind of coming up for you. Is there anything that you're really looking forward to for this year, whether that comes to marketing or any kind of other aspect of your business? Yeah. Well, I wrote my first children's book. So Jace goes to the farm. So I'm thinking about maybe going on a, like a little miniature, like little book tour, a couple of agricultural organizations, maybe a couple of libraries will let me do a reading. Um, and so that's kind of a, like a fun thing, just like my passion project, you know? And so I, um, I also have a podcast, you know, Ag Law Today, um, where we talk about a myriad of, you know, food and agriculture, a lot issues, but, um, I think for me, sort of my plans with marketing are to try to do more connection with my um, my followers through video. I think the video is really important. I haven't figured out how to do TikTok like the cool kids, but you know, I think that I think that from me as a as a person who has had their own law practice for fourteen or fifteen years that as a business owner, you have to find whatever medium works for you. You don't have to do everything. Um, when I first started my law practice, I did a lot on Twitter. I'm less active on Twitter now. I still have an active blog, but I think you don't have to, you don't have to be involved in every single social media platform, but find a few that like really, um, um, like emphasize your strengths and to take hold of them, if that makes any sense. That, that does. I think that's one of my favorite things about marketing is it's not, you know, it's, I think it's comparable to life on the farm in that every day is different, right? Like every day presents a new challenge um, or a new opportunity, or, you know, you never really get too comfortable in the day-to-day because something's going to come that is going to, you know, keep you on your toes. And, and marketing is like that, you know, with your business, you never really have to get 
too comfortable. There's always going to be something new you can experiment with. You don't, you definitely don't need to be able to hit every platform, do everything, video, podcast, you know, YouTube, uh, blog, social media, TikTok, short form, you know, the list goes on and on. You don't have to be in everything. You can experiment. You can have fun. You can see what works for you and what works for you today and works well, you know, may not serve you or your business six months to a year to, you know, five years from now. And the good thing with marketing is that there will be something new coming out probably in a year, five years that we can't even predict what, what may be successful. Who would have predicted TikTok five years ago? I don't know any of us would have. So, um, there's always going to be that new opportunity, but when you're open to exploring like, like yourself and, you know, the podcast, we'll definitely link that below because I think, uh, you know, hopefully our listeners will get a lot of value out of that as well. Um, and then the, you know, the book, we talk a lot about kind of like marketing side hustles or, or business side hustles, hustles or kind of like agritourism of, of figuring ways to diversify. And that's such a fun way to diversify. So once that's available, you have to let us know, we'll share, because I think that would be a great, uh, kind of like birthday gift, or I have a lot of friends who are having babies this year. If they're listening, you know, you're not getting a copy of <laughs> wink, wink of Jace. What is it? Jace goes to the farm or Jace, Jace goes to the farm, Jace goes yeah. to the farm but maybe you will be. Um, and I think that is, that's just like, I feel like, like I said, uh, you're one of those people who I feel like never gets too comfortable because you're always just, you know, trying something new or going after something new or pursuing a new passion. So excited to hear about the book, maybe beekeeping. Um, <laughs> but Thank you, you know, so much. I think all of your insights were going to be so helpful and, and we'll for sure have to, you know, link below, um, you know, your blog and things like that, that folks can look out for. Well, thank you so much for not only having me to the podcast, but, you know, helping those in the food and agriculture industry. I mean, I think that we're all on the same team. We want this industry to be great and strong and um, that means for each of its parts, you know, for all the, all the producers out there to also have strong enterprises. Absolutely. So if any of our listeners, if y'all are interested in learning more about Carrie's farm or Carrie's law practice, especially if you're in Illinois, uh, you can visit carriesfarm.com and rinkerlaw.com. We'll link them below. And if y'all are not familiar yet with the farmer's feed, I help ag folks cultivate their marketing skills to tell their stories through educational resources, one-on-one consulting, and group trainings for farm and ag associations. You can learn more at thefarmersfeed.com and at thefarmersfeed on Instagram. I'll talk to y'all soon.